A few years ago, we grew and sold a business that forever changed our lives. At first, we really struggled trying to figure out which tools to use to help run and organize our community. But that all changed once we discovered Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part, Kajabi doesn't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So you keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash M-U. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash M-U. Go to kajabi.com slash M-U and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. More and more entrepreneurs and investors are discovering the awesome franchise opportunities that exist across a variety of industries. Franchising can simply be the better path and interest in franchising is at an all time high. Lucky for you, John Austinson, founder of Fran Bridge Consulting and a past Millionaire University guest is here to help you explore the premier franchise opportunities today. John and his Frambridge Consulting team are part of the largest franchise brokerage in the U.S. and have vetted the market thoroughly. Frambridge is hands down the premier source for the best opportunities in the franchise world, including both active and passive opportunities. From tiny homes to youth soccer to industrial hoses to pets, senior care to mental health, and more. John has served as an Inc. 500 franchisor and is a multi-brand franchisee himself. And he does more placements than anyone else in the country. Sign up for a free consultation call with John today or get a free copy of his book, Non-Food Franchising, at franbridgeconsulting.com. That's franbridgeconsulting.com. Available in the U.S. and Canada. Real quick, before we go on with the episode, I want to tell you about a new podcast you might want to check out. It's called Millionaire University, and its hosts, Justin and Tara Williams, have an amazing story. Justin, he went to BYU on a full-ride football scholarship, but after a shoulder injury, decided to forego his last year of football and soon dropped out to start his first business with his wife. Well, his million-dollar dream turned into a $120,000 debt nightmare with a new child in tow. Things were really brutal. Eventually, he righted the ship and started several successful businesses, but it wasn't easy. Now that his kids are getting closer to adulthood and college age, his call to teach people the skills he wished he learned before starting a business has only intensified. So Millionaire University, that's when it was born. Millionaire University teaches foundational business and wealth creation lessons that Justin and his wife Tara learned over the years, along with other mentors and experts. They're also mentoring several people along the way through live coaching sessions and following their journey in growing their businesses and working toward living a more fulfilled life. Create wealth in a way that brings fulfillment and a life of balance. Tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Just search Millionaire University. One more time, Millionaire University. Check it out. By early 2013, we had arrived. Flipping 100 houses a year, 
pretty much on autopilot with systems that allowed us to only work a few hours a week and make a healthy seven-figure net income, how could life get any better? The world was our oyster. It hadn't been easy, but all the hard work had finally paid off. We would now move down by the beach in San Clemente, California, and I would fulfill a lifelong goal of becoming a surfer dude. Well, as fate would have it, becoming a professional surfer was a little bit harder than I had expected. And within a few months, I was bored, feeling unfulfilled, and knew I needed to do something else with my life. Uh, the problem is I had no idea what that thing would be. I was talking to my brother, Derek, one day, and he told me about this newish thing that he had discovered called podcasts. Didn't really sound like my thing, so I kind of blew it off at first, but then the thought occurred to me, I wonder if there are any podcasts that talk about different kinds of businesses that you could start. So I did a Google search, business podcasts. And the first thing that came up was this podcast called Entrepreneur on Fire with this guy named John Dumas. I quickly realized that this guy interviewed a different business owner every single day. What? I pretty much assumed that it would be pretty salesy and spammy because that's what the internet was, right? Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. John's first interview was with this guy named Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income. I was immediately smitten. So I then went and checked out Pat Flynn's blog and his podcast and probably spent about 60 to 70 hours over the next week consuming everything he had. I was blown away. I could not believe that there was this kind of information out there. These kinds of people that were sharing this kind of information in this much detail. Sleeping became a burden. I would sleep for a few hours and then I would wake up at one o'clock and I just had to get more. Well, to make a long story short, Pat is a big part of the reason why I started my initial business, House Flipping HQ, and is someone that I've really followed along the years and gotten a ton of value out of. So recently, as we've been promoting and growing the Millionaire University podcast, I reached out to Team SPI to see if they would be open to us being a sponsor of the show. The truth is, I felt like I owed Pat money anyway for all the free content I've gotten over the years. So writing him a check for a few grand to have him promote our show on his show was a no-brainer. I had been working with David Grabowski, who's the senior producer for Team SPI, on coming up with the ad spot for the SPI podcast. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, I would love to feature one of Pat's episodes in the Millionaire University podcast. They graciously accepted that offer and that is what we have for you today. But wait, there's more. Not only do we get Pat Flynn, but the episode that David sent me was one that I'd recently listened to when I was at the gym, of course, where Pat interviews another amazing entrepreneur, Steve Chu of MyWifeQuitHerJob.com. These are two entrepreneurs that I've really grown to respect over the years, not only for the business success they've had, but even more importantly, and how they've managed to put their family first while starting and growing their business. In fact, Steve recently published a book called The Family First Entrepreneur, and that's what this episode is centered around. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, I give you the ones, the onlys, Pat Flynn and Steve Chu. You know, we often feel like we have to choose one over the other with our time sometimes. What inspired you to just 
put your head down and write this book? You know, I wrote this book because I've just realized, at least for me, that 99% of the entrepreneurship advice out there doesn't apply to me, right? Think about it this way. Most of the entrepreneurship advice you see out there is given by single guys who don't have any responsibilities whatsoever. And that just was not representative of me. And I would say it's not representative of a lot of people, right? So most of the advice you see out there is you got to work 80-hour weeks. You got to hustle like crazy just to make anything successful. But you can, in fact, create a really good business as you have, Pat, and still have lots of time for family. And you certainly do not have to work 80 hours a week, for sure. That's a really important message. I remember when I started business, you know, it was Tim Ferriss was was the main voice and a lot of people uh, who were jet setters and travel moguls and that kind of lifestyle is not normal. And if you have a family, it's um, it's just like, well, I can't do that. I don't have that time. I got responsibilities. I have a career. I have a family. I've got kids. And, and with kids, it's like you never know when you're going to have time. And, and so I think I know the answer to this question. But for people with families who are busy, who don't have a lot of time, is it even possible to still be an entrepreneur? You know, it's a it's it was a struggle for me. I mean, the answer, of course, is yes. But for me, my I mean, just to be straight up, my ego always got in the way. So when we first started our business, in case your listeners don't know who I am, we started because my wife wanted to quit her job in order to stay at home with our first child. And where we live in the Silicon Valley, you pretty much need two incomes to get a good house in a good school district. So when she told me she was going to quit, I was 100% on board, but we needed to find something else. So we started that business because of family. But what ended up happening is we, we hit six figures in profit in our first year, and it's just started growing. And I got all excited, I got carried away, and I kept wanting to grow it every single year. And so we'd set these income goals, and then we'd hit them, and then we'd move the goalposts the next year. And we were selling handkerchiefs at the time, and it just got very overwhelming. And it got overwhelming because I wanted to hit seven figures no matter what. Meanwhile, I didn't even realize that I was alienating my wife, and I wasn't seeing my family as much. And I kind of lost track of the whole reason why I started the business in the first place. Wow. The answer is yes, but you have to be very deliberate about how you start your business and how you run it. For many people listening, you might be like, first of all, hold up, Steve, six figures from selling handkerchiefs. I know that to be true. And you've told the story here before, so we're not going to dive into that here. We'll reference that episode number at the end for everybody. But even more important than that is why seven figures? What was driving you to, to that mark? The main reason was because I was in mastermind groups with a lot of different business owners that were killing it. And when you hang out with people like that, you want to do the same. You know, I just wanted it for my ego, really. Did those people have families too? Those people did not have families. But here's what I've discovered, and maybe you can share with me your experiences also. Some of these mastermind groups I was in where people were, like there's this one guy in my group who hit like $2 million in six months. And he actually came on my podcast. I interviewed him. And it was a great episode. We talked about you know how he did and everything. As soon as we hit stop on the record button, though, I was like, how, how miserable was that? And he's like, man, that was the most stressful year of my life. Uh, we had to grow. Everything was out of control. We had to hire so much. And I'd never been more stressed in my entire life. And you don't actually get to hear those stories because that's not what's sensationalistic you know, for podcast. I mean, I wish I had that part of the recording, but I'm pretty sure that that person did not want that part of the recording to go live because the topic was, how did you hit $2 million in six months? But that's, ha that's actually more common than you think. So 
correct me if I'm wrong, in these mastermind groups, especially typically it's a, it's with a, a lot of people who are all about the business and that's all the conversation is about. It, it's not a holistic conversation about life. It's just business, numbers, marketing, growth. Are you still in those groups or how have those groups evolved over time since you've learned from from those mistakes? Yeah, I've so I've, I've been in and out of groups and maybe you have too. I tend to stick with the ones that kind of fall in line with my values. That particular one that I was just talking about was just all about business. Here's the other thing I've actually found also is that a lot of people go for revenue because that's the vanity number, right? I had a buddy who was doing very well. He was making six figures and his revenue was like three or 400,000, but he's doing a solid six figures. He really wanted to hit the seven figure mark and, and I could relate to that. He hit the seven figure mark, busting his butt, hiring and everything, but he ended up with the same profit. And at the end of the day, he was thinking to himself, why did I go through all that work, build this team, create all this extra stress when in fact I was making around the same amount of money? It's because of that vanity number. That's a very common story, actually. I hear that all the time, dude. So now that you've lived through that, actually, before we even get to the strategies and stuff, like I wanna know what the conversation is like with, with your wife when you, had your ego first and you were trying for seven figures and you weren't seeing your kids as much and you, you were putting a, a huge burden on, on your wife. What happened? How did you snap out of that, if you will? I can't take credit for that. So my wife actually sat me down and she was kind of in tears and she said, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate running this business. We keep busting our butts to make extra money that we don't even spend. We actually did our finances and we spent about $150,000 a year as a family and we were making like 10x that or even more than that. So why were we busting our butts for something that we don't even need? Here's the thing. Most people don't even think about these things when they start a business. And it's really easy to lose track of why you started in the first place. So what my wife did is she sat me down. We had this talk. She told me all those things. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Once she told me all these things and how she was feeling, I was like, none of this makes sense. So immediately what we did is we stopped all revenue goals, right? Because those are stressing us out. And we put together a set of rules. And we, it, was, it was actually all documented about how many times I can travel or if something really comes up, how do we evaluate that against what we're missing? And we put that down in a doc. So whenever something like that comes up now, we refer to this document. You have almost like a, a, a family constitution of, of the way things. Oh, you've got one too. We've talked about it. Yeah, we, ha- we don't have that written. It's not behind some glass case in the house, although it might as well be <laughs> because it's that important and we often forget those things, right? And it, it's key. I think, number one, your wife and my wife would get along very well, would have a lot of uh, things to talk about as entrepreneur wives. Number two, those conversations don't, it, like, it doesn't have to get to that point of, of breakage, right? And, and I know this is the purpose of the book is to get ahead on this for people. So what, what's the advice for the brand new entrepreneur who has a family or is, or is going to start a family soon? Maybe there's even a baby on the way, but they have these goals of, of grandeur with business. And what's the approach that we take? How do we settle now before things break and, and, and become unsettled later? Is your audience familiar with the four burners theory at all? Have you heard of the four burners theory? Probably not. Okay. We can we can go over it though. Let's just talk about it real quick because it's important. The four burners theory states that your life is composed of four burners, work, friends, family, and health. In order to excel at any one thing, 
you have to turn off at least one burner. And if you want to be really good at something, you have to turn off two. Basically, this theory states that there's always trade-offs for everything. So if you want to be really good at work, in this case, it'd be a business, then you got to turn off one, maybe two burners. All right. So if you know that already, then you already know that there's trade-offs in mind. So if you're just starting out, you don't have kids, just know that if you want to excel in business or achieve financial freedom in the beginning, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. When my wife and I first started, we sacrificed our friends and, our, and probably our health burner. We worked a lot, and you're going to have to work a lot in the beginning. And we gave that up. We got the business up and running, thankfully, before the child arrived. And then once the child arrived, we, we kind of switched off the burners and that sort of thing. I don't know where you want to go with this, Pat, but... No, I like where it's going, though. Can the burners in this theory or this 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 exercise be dialed up and dialed down, or are they either always on or always off? No, they can always be dialed up and down. Okay. Right? So, for example, we started out with just... We, we dialed down the friends and the health burner. But then once things were in steady state, we turned back our other burners. And there's, of course, there's ways to cheat the burner theory by hiring and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you can't really outsource the family burner. Or you could, I guess. You could hire a nanny. But then what was the reason why you started the business in the first place? I found, and we, we had a similar audience, right, Pat? Most people yeah. want to start a business not to make a billion dollars. They just want to be able to hang out with who they want to hang out with and do what they want to do. But everyone, almost everyone I know, gets, gets kind of lost in the, in the money after a while. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is because starting a business is not actually that difficult uh, anymore. You, you, can, you can do it. You can start seeing revenue come in. But a few things happen when that happens. Number one, you get so obsessed with growing that number that then nothing else matters anymore, right? The money burner is just like burning everything and, and you only got that one on and everything else falters because of it. And we've seen it. We've had people in our lives who we know who's, who's lost their relationships because of the things that they've done. They've lost their health as a result of these kinds of things. How does a person listening to this then approach it right from the start? What's the formula or how does one focus their time and energy to maintain relationships, maintain health, but also build a business? Or And, and we've already determined that it is possible, but how? I mean, I have a set of rules that I follow and maybe we can. it's helpful to talk about them. Yeah. The first thing is just realizing that if family, for example, is going to be your primary thing, you're not going to create like the next Amazon.com or the next Facebook.com, right? In order to start a really good business and still prioritize some of the other things, there's trade-offs and there's rules that I follow, which I'm actually very curious about what your opinions are on this. So one thing that I do is I only focus on strategies where I can produce one thing and have it generate traffic in the long term. So for example, I'm not really big on social media. And my friends that do Instagram well, for example, they post seven times a day. I have a friend who does Facebook really well, makes a lot of money. She has to post 21 times a day. And when they stop, the traffic stops, right? Contrast that to SEO and YouTube, where if I create, a, there's, there's posts that I had that I created 10 years ago that still generate traffic today. There's YouTube videos that I created three years ago that still generate traffic today. So I like those traffic strategies where I just do it once and I get long-term traffic. So that's why you won't see me on social media as much. I love that. I am very much in that same camp. I am on social media, but more just to share with people what's going on in my life, not even as a traffic generation strategy. I I rarely link to things hoping it'll get more traffic other than if I'm in the middle of a promotion or something. But 
in general, I take the same approach. I, I love working hard now so I could reap the benefits later as, as people hear every single podcast episode. And a lot, very similarly, like a lot of things that I did a long time ago are still working for me today in, in, in some way. And it's like a, a new way of investing, not money so that your money works for you, but time so that those things that you create work for you over time. The Green Exam Academy, my website to help architects pass an exam, which was created in 2008, still is generating an income today, now 15 years later with zero work. And this is where, with zero work today, not not say it didn't require work in the beginning. So based, based on this, uh, how can a person determine what is eventually going to become passive versus the trends and what's hot now? Because yeah, it, it, like right now a lot of people are starting on TikTok, for example, because it has a large algorithm that, you know, will get you in front of a large amount of people. But like you said, the moment you stop, it kind of stops. So do you have any strategies or filters that even in the future with technology that we don't even know exists yet, a person can can use to figure out what might be best for them in this situation? I mean, you mentioned TikTok. And right now, TikTok might get banned. There's a real possibility that it's going to get banned. So number one, don't depend on any platform for everything. I rely on email and SMS specifically. Those are my two most important properties. The way I do it, no matter which platform I'm on, whether it be TikTok, YouTube, blog, or whatever, I always try to get some on my email list. And then I also try to get them on my SMS list. Here's what I do. It. I actually try to get both at the same time. Usually I'll give out some sort of lead magnet. In my case, I teach e-commerce. So I'll give out a six-day mini course on e-commerce for an email. And then as soon as they sign up for email, I immediately take them to a different screen and I say, hey, would you like a bonus lesson on how to sell on Amazon? Leave your number. And about 40% of the people that sign up for email actually give me their number. And what my strategy has always been is to cross-pollinate my audiences. I want the same person on email, SMS, Instagram, Twitter, as many people as possible, on many different platforms as possible, because you never know where they happen to be looking at any given time when you have to send something out. And if one happens to be banned, the others will help still keep you afloat. I, I, there's a lot of, I think even yesterday, there were like hearings about TikTok and there was a, a, a woman who was an influencer who was speaking in front of all these you know, decision makers in, in Washington about her business and what she was doing. And obviously she's fighting to keep TikTok, but her business solely relies on TikTok. I thought I saw the slime girl came on, like 90% of her business was TikTok, yeah. Right, which is, again, it's like, if you diversify, it, it, it helps. But at the same time, I wanna talk about the idea of diversification, but also you can't diversify if you haven't started yet. So where where would you suggest a person who has an interest, a passion, a expertise, a, a, an idea to begin. Are they building a thing to sell? Are they creating content or building an audience first? Wanna know a secret? There's more to becoming a millionaire than making money. We talk a lot about building businesses and taking the road less traveled to achieve your goals. But the most successful entrepreneurs we know will tell you investing and growing your money is an essential component to creating wealth, which is why we're really excited about today's sponsor for this episode, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. 
In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. It's never too late to start growing, and it's never too early either. You've heard us say about a million times on this podcast that it takes small, consistent steps to build big results. And we love Acorns and how accessible it is to people at all levels of investment knowledge. So head to acorns.com forward slash MU or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash MU. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors, LLC. Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash MU, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash MU to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash MU. That's a great question. So my answer to that question is always dependent on the time frame. If your goal is to make money within a year, I personally think that e-commerce is probably the best way, right? You're selling a product in exchange for money right away. If you have a time frame of three years or longer, I'd say content is better. So what ends up happening is e-commerce will start and then revenue will go up, you know, up and to the right. With content, and I don't know if this is the case for you, Pat, but I didn't really make any money with my content for two years when I started. But then all of a sudden, once it started catching fire, started hockey sticking up. And the great thing about content is that the cost of goods is not that high compared to e-commerce. In the content space, I would say today, if I were to start all over from complete scratch, I would say start a YouTube channel if you don't mind doing video. Because Google or YouTube is really good at proliferating content. If you don't like doing video, I would go with a blog because once again, Google's really good at getting your content out there. And to establish really deep connections, as you teach all the time, I think podcasting is still a really good medium as well. Would you consider doing all of them or just pick one? I would always pick one. I'm, here, here's what we didn't actually discuss. The trade-offs of starting a business, for me at least, was always ego. I see all these people doing really well, and I know I'm making this trade-off for family, and I'm seeing all these other people get ahead, and, and I want to do those things. I belong to this group from Stanford. It's called the Mayfield Fellows Group. And that group was all about starting, you know, venture-backed startups. And every year there's this retreat and I go there and everyone's talking about their million dollar exits. Like Kevin Systrom is in that group of Instagram. Everyone's going around what they accomplished and I'm sitting here going, yeah, I'm still selling handkerchiefs and whatnot. (laughs) It, It hurts my ego, right? So the way I counteract that is I just work on one thing every single year. So this year, obviously, is the launch of my book. Last year it was YouTube. The year before that, I think it was TikTok. The year before that, it was ads. And so I just focus on one thing. Like if you try to do everything, 
you're not going to be good at anything. But if you can focus on one thing for an extended period of time, have all the systems in place before you move on, that's the way I like to operate. Last year was YouTube. I know this because you and I have had some celebratory moments. Every time we both sort of hit a milestone, we like share that with each other. I know your channel has been growing. What What are the biggest things you learned by focusing on on YouTube? And if a person were listening and they were interested in going down that route, give them some tips if you can. Yeah. YouTube is fantastic because people can see you and listen to you at the same time. It's much more deep than I, I would say like a blog or even a podcast. I would say my tips for YouTube, and I know you just gave a webinar on it, right? So Yeah, yeah. And, and you're kicking butt on it. My channel is different from Pat's. It's probably more like your spy channel, I would say. I always try to deliver content that other people would pay for, and I try to keep it very concise. And I hook them in right in the beginning, so they want to learn what they want to learn, and then I just teach along the way. And what's nice about YouTube also is that you can add little elements of your personality which you can't really do in a blog if you want to rank in search. Very true. And then I always end by saying, hey, now that I've taught you this skill, make sure you watch this video next. And then I expand upon that. And the idea is you want to keep people on YouTube for as long as possible watching all of your videos. Yes. And then, of course, there's titles and thumbnails. You want to make sure to be a little clickbaity and get people to actually click and watch that video. But you do those two things that I tell you and your channel will start taking off, guaranteed. So where did your channel start when you decided to focus on YouTube and where is it now? I started three years ago. With, before, I was just using YouTube as, as video storage, really. Right. I'd have like a lead magnet and I'd just point people over there. I wasn't really doing anything with it. And three years later, I'm at 200K subs. And that channel makes over $35,000 a month just on AdSense alone. And it, it's now the number two driver of email subs for my platform as well. It's been fantastic. How are you collecting emails from YouTube when the goal is to keep people on YouTube? So what I do is I give a really good tip and then I say, hey, by the way, if you enjoyed that last tip, sign up for my free six-day mini course below. And to me, that's that's something that, I, I don't know if it's hurting the channel or not, but it, it doesn't seem to be. People sign up and it hasn't really hurt. Do you do anything similar with yours? Well, on Deep Pocket Monster, no, but on the Pat Flynn channel, of course. I mean, we have our all-access pass and the courses that we promote, and there's a balance there that has to be had. But yes, maybe you get a few people leaving YouTube, which decreases the reach a little bit. But at the same time, if you know you're converting them, then it's worth the trade-off. So that's that's always a, a tough question to answer. So I appreciate your insight on that. I think it's important to do it in the middle of the video, because if they do it, they'll probably come back and watch the rest of it especially if you do it after one really good tip that you're giving that really impresses them. You're delivering value first. You have an ask, which is actually to give more value to them, especially if they're the, you've piqued their interest. And I like that, putting it in the middle of the video. That's that's great. The book has become your latest focus. Correct. Tell me about that. This is your first book that you've published? My first book. That's correct. How was the experience for you? I vastly underestimated the work. How long did you think it was going to take? I thought it was going to be a year-long project. Instead, it's been three. Oh, my gosh. And you have, what, four books? I have three under my belt, one in the works right now. And this book is my first traditional published book. So this is this is new in that regard for me. But I still come across the same experience of, you know, some good days, some bad days of writing, um, some really good moments and great stories that I didn't even know I had in me. And then, and then other days where I'm just like, I'm just regurgitating the same thing I've always said. So 
it's it, it's definitely a journey. What helped you the most when putting this thing together? I think the number one thing that I did that was the best decision I made was getting some help. So I'm using Jeff Goins. I have like a thousand blog posts, and he really helped me kind of compile all those into something really cohesive and help fill in the blanks. And he, Jeff Goins is a best-selling author, and he's gone through this many times. And just having access to his network, his skills, I wouldn't have been able to publish this book without him, for sure. It's traditionally published? Traditionally published, yeah. And that process in itself is was pretty extensive, yeah. It, it, it is. I mean, a proposal and just like you have, you've got to like sell yourself and all those kinds of things. Who, who did you end up publishing with? Uh, Harper Collins. In fact, Collins. the editor Big is one. the same one that does Gary Vee's books. So I was really happy with that. Congratulations, dude. That is huge. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. And Jeff is great. He's helping me on my book as well. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I did. He told me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> so we'll see who he cared about more. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I broke him in no, for Jeff, you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thank you. No, Je- Jeff is great. And, you know, I, I can't agree more with just like when you have a goal like this, like get help from people who know what they're doing and what they're talking about. Right. And that goes back to my question earlier. If you're just starting a business, like go find help from a person who you trust and who's doing the same things you are. No matter what it is you want to do, like find a person who's done it. Somebody has done it before you and has made made all those mistakes before. But with a book, I mean, I have to give credit to uh, Azul Tarones, who was my coach on my first book, Will It Fly? And then working with Jeff on this one to be a little bit more hands-on with, with, with the process with me has been really amazing. So what is your goal with the book? Like how, and, and tell me, how are you marketing it? I'm always curious about that. Maybe I can borrow some strategies from you. Uh, the goal with the book, really, it was a bucket list item for me. I've always wanted to do one. And then I've always wanted to walk my kids through the bookstore and show them the book. But here's another reason why. I've been blogging now for, good Lord, like over 12 years. My mom has never read a single post. But now that I told her that I'm traditionally publishing this book, she's got all excited. (laughs) I can't, and she's excited to read it and and whatnot. It doesn't make any sense to me. Oh my gosh. I I am, that's just very traditional way of thinking, right? Even though you've put out some of the most helpful blog posts that have literally served thousands of people and helped people make millions of dollars, it's not real. You're not a real author yet until you have a book. So, so that's cool, doing it for, for family. Walking your kids through the bookstore is an amazing experience. I hope you film that. I, I, I filmed that first experience for me when Will It Fly was in the stores, and I'll always remember it. And then let's talk about the person who has started a business. Uh, they picked up your book. They, they've gotten the motivation to do it. What in the book helps a person after the business does start to grow, after those new opportunities arise that have never arisen before. How are you helping a person filter through what might be the next step so that they still remain a family-first entrepreneur? Yeah, uh, so we already kind of talked about one, which was looking at long-term strategies versus short-term. I also talk a lot about profit and not revenue. Let me just give an example here. Black Friday, most people launch these killer sales, right? It's just a thing. People do it. But what most people don't think about is how much those sales are actually costing. Let, let's throw some numbers in the mix. I, I usually don't like to do public math, but let's just see if we can do okay, this. Okay, let's do it. Let's say you sell a, you're a from product. Stanford, you're fine. What's that? <laughs> yeah. I said you're from Stanford. You're fine. If not, <laughs> you're from I'll, Cal. I'll you say should be okay. Cal's better. <laughs> let's say you sell something for 100 bucks, right? Okay. Physical product. And it costs you $50 to make. So for every item that you sell, you're making 50 bucks. 
let's say in a typical day, you sell 100 of these things. So you make $5,000 a day. All right, so now Black Friday rolls around. Everyone's launching sales and you're like, okay, let's issue a 25% off coupon. Okay, so 25% off coupon, which means that you're selling it for 75 bucks, costs you 50, so you're making $25 in profit per sale. All of a sudden, in order to make that same five grand, you now need to sell 200 units. So that 25% off, now you need to sell double just to break even. So it's important to note that the numbers are not linear. Yeah, wow. 25% off means you need to sell 2x the number of items. Most people don't think like that. And so now, whenever I think about running a sale, I run the numbers, and if, it does, if I can't double my sales volume, I won't run the sale. It's not worth the sale, just so you can you know, sell more volume, and then you run out of inventory, and then you gotta like add more, and, and, and just all the things start to, to go. So, so, so what's the lesson here? Know your numbers, essentially? Know your numbers and focus on the profit, not the revenue. Here's another example, let's, let's, let's flip it a little bit. Typical e-commerce business, Let's just say, like, if you look at the stats, it's like 10% net revenue, right? Let's say you're selling something for 100 bucks. If you were to raise the price 1%, you'd be selling something for $101, right? Originally, when you're selling it for 100 bucks, assuming a 10% net profit, you're making a $10 profit per sale. By increasing your prices by 1% or $1, you are actually increasing your profit by 10%. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you increase your prices by 5%, assuming a 10% net margin, that actually means you're increasing your profit by 50%. You got to think about things in terms of profit, not revenue, when you're running a business. And most people chase the vanity number, right? Just like I was. I was trying to get to seven figures, no matter what, because I wanted to tell everyone that I had a seven-figure business without realizing that I was actually destroying my profit at the same time. How do you help the entrepreneur who, in order to save time, hires people who's never worked with people before? I, kn I know this is a very common thing, especially for family-based entrepreneurs. It's, hey, I'm going to hire other people to do that for me so that I can spend more time with family. But what ends up happening often is the management of those people end up taking more time than if you were to do those things yourself. Thus, you actually even might have even less time with the family because of all these people things that are now involved. Should you do run it alone? Should you hire people? What, what are your thoughts on this? So my philosophies on this have always, always been a little controversial. I'm a big proponent of robots, not humans. So if I can automate something with a piece of code, and this is a great time to talk about this because ChatGPT4 just came out, which has really helped out content creation, like I have writers right now for My Wife Quit Her Job, and I'm actually thinking about, you know, not, not using some of them going forward because ChatGPT is that good. And I just happen to have a technical background which allows me to write code, but one thing that always bothers me when I go to an event is people always ask me how large your team is. Yeah. Right? Because it's just like a way to people measure, but I can just say that you can run a really good business and just have like one person. Like, so my wife quit her job, makes seven figures in profit. I only have one VA in the Philippines. That's it. Wow. It's all about systems and processes. And you know, if you want to start something really big, then you're going to need to hire a large team. But if you want to hover around like the three to five million range, I don't really think you need a team, a, a large team at least. So you can make three to five million dollars a year, top line revenue which, you know, Correct. profit enough to live on likely very much so for a, a nice lifestyle. 
with just one person, one or two people for hired help? Absolutely. Here's how I do it. And you can tell me by your experiences. I always do everything myself in the beginning. I was editing all my YouTube videos. I was editing all my podcasts and everything. And then I got tired of doing it. But I knew exactly how to do it. And so what I did was I just recorded videos of me editing it. And then when it came time to hire someone, I used Loom, actually. And then I just turned over those Loom videos, and I got up and running really quick. I never move on to another task until I've done that. And I mentioned I always do things for at least a year. I would agree with that for most things, for sure, especially a lot of more procedural things that can then be handed off to others. Same thing for editing and the podcasting. There are just some things that you can't replicate, like, although that being said, you could argue against this now, like your voice on your podcast, which, yes, you can actually replicate that now with different tools and it's getting kind of scary. And I have been experimenting with how might I be able to do that one day and how do I feel about it? I don't even know exactly yet. So that's just, again, we, we don't have to talk about AI, although I know you are interested in that <laughs> as well. But that I always advise, this, this is actually a question I get from a lot of my podcasting students, like, hey, I'm like, can I just hire an editor right off the bat? I always say, get your first five to 10 episodes done yourself first so that you know, A, how it works. So in case when you do hire somebody and then they leave, you're not left stranded anymore, right? You could pick up the slack for a period of time until you train somebody else. And if you have videos about how to do that, it's even easier. But number two, you have an appreciation for that work that that person ends up doing for you as well. You know how much time it took you. You understand how difficult these things are. And when they do them and they can often do them better than you can or faster, you're just like more blown away and you have more empathy with, for them and you can take better care of them as well and, and compensate them at the same time. So the, the reason I partly disagree with you would be because there are just some things that I don't know how to do or don't have any inclination to want to learn how to do, but but must be done, right? And, and, and there's some obvious things like bookkeeping and financing and taxes and those kinds of things. But even on the creative side, like mastering thumbnails, for example, for YouTube. There are people out there that you could hire who could do it perfect from the start. And it's almost an art form in a way that I'd have to dedicate my full-time efforts to be able to master that. And then, and I'm, I don't want to. Um, yeah, I'm not saying anyway. that you have to be a master of it. You just have to have at least high-level knowledge of how it works, right? You have to know mm -hmm. like approximately what a good thumbnail or title will be. I see. So you can measure it, right? Like I have people that come up to me and say, hey, I just want to outsource my marketing. Do you know anyone that I can outsource my marketing to? And if you don't really understand, let's just take something simple like SEO, right? Search engine optimization. And they want to hire someone, they don't know anything about it. And when you don't know anything about it, you don't even know if the agency is doing a good job or not. So you have to actually have high level knowledge before you outsource something. That's true too. And don't outsource blind is what I'm yeah, saying. No, that, yeah, no, that, that's a perfect piece of advice, especially for the for the beginner. I can imagine a scenario with SEO where a person's just like, I just want my pages ranking higher, go. And that's the measurement stick. When you know nothing about SEO, you know it's not that simple and that it might take three to six months to see any movement. And if you don't know that, then you have these unreal expectations and, and, and the experiences of hiring are just bad, uh, even though they might've been good if you knew something about it. So I, I agree with you for that. Man, we could talk all day about this stuff, Steve, because you, you you and I both are very similar family-centric entrepreneurs. We both have started around the same time. We've both run our own events. We've both you know, lived through the ups and downs and, and, and are thriving now, which is really amazing. And I'm just so proud of you and, and stoked to see you doing so well. And I'm grateful that you wrote this book. It's one that I feel like I could have written myself, but I, I'm grateful you did it too. 
Uh, well, you're in so, it, so you know I am oh, yeah, sharing your experiences too. Um, that is true. Go pick everyone up the listening. Book, Pat was very gracious enough to uh, record a session about you know his thoughts on family first entrepreneurship, and that's actually in the book as well. And speaking of that, where can people go to uh, to grab it? I think the best place to go is thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com because I have a lot of bonuses. Uh, and you you asked me like how I'm marketing the book a while back, and uh, I always like to over deliver, so. When you sign up, I'm actually giving away a three-day workshop on how to get started in e-commerce with print-on-demand. And the reason why I chose print-on-demand is because it's a gateway drug to a larger e-commerce business. Probably not going to make life-changing money with print-on-demand, but it'll get your toes in the water, and you'll make some money without hardly any upfront cost. And if you like it, you can then go on and try other things. Thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com, you said? Thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com. Okay. I wish I chose a different domain in retrospect because entrepreneur is kind of hard to spell. I always screw it up. That's right. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes for you. Second bonus is I'm giving out a two-day content workshop on how to make money with YouTube, blogging, and podcasting. And again, it just depends on what your time frame for revenue is. If you have a longer time frame and you're more content inclined, it's a perfect starter. And I'm also doing the six-week, what I call the six-week family first challenge, where in the Facebook group, I'm actually going to go in and help you figure out what your side hustle is going to be. I'll be in there giving presentations every single week for six weeks and basically helping you out interactively. Nice, man. I like it, dude. That's cool. you got options for everybody. So go ahead and go there now, thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com. Um, use your spell checker if you need to. And, uh, dude, I appreciate you. This is so much fun. Uh, what's the YouTube channel, by the way? I know you're putting a lot of time and effort in there in case people want to get some, some dosage. The YouTube channel is, it's the, my wife quit her job YouTube channel. It's very creative. I love it. It's the same name as all my other stuff. Yeah. I, you know, when I first heard about that brand name, I was like, it was so different and it's, it's just, it makes sense. You know, it's like, that's a weird domain name. That's a weird business or brand, but it actually does speak to the family first part of it, right? It's like, this is why you got into this in the first place. And maybe you had forgotten that for a while. And here you are now writing the book of all the things that you've learned and, and put into it to get back to the family first aspect of it and, and to help all of us out in the same regard. So I, I appreciate you for that, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, my friend. And I look forward to uh, hanging out with you soon, hopefully. And you know, go dubs. Thanks for having me. Let's give it up for Pat Flynn and Steve Chu. Be sure to check out Steve's new book at thefamilyfirstentrepreneur.com. You can also learn more and find more about him at mywifequitherjob.com. I love that URL. And you can learn more about and follow Pat Flynn at smartpassiveincome.com or the Smart Passive Income Podcast. If you like this episode, the best compliment you can give us is by sharing it with a friend and they'll thank you too. And to get your free business 101 course, go to millionaireuniversity.com slash training, millionaireuniversity.com slash training. Other than that, get out there, take some action, keep moving towards your goals one day at a time. By small and simple things are great things brought to pass. It's the little things that add up consistent and persistent actions. Always doing the next most important thing in your business that will get you to where you want to be. Be sure to follow or subscribe. We have some amazing classes and lessons lined up that we cannot wait to share with you. But for now, I must bid you adieu. Until next time, class dismissed.
Hey, Eric Fisher here, and if you love the conversations and lessons happening on this show, and you've heard my voice before, you'll love my show, Beyond the To-Do List. It's a podcast about productivity and getting things done in all the areas where we wear multiple hats and roles, but also about the true meaning of productivity, living a more meaningful life. Look, you've got a never-ending to-do list, but add this podcast to your to-do list and it will help you tackle the rest. Go right now, wherever you're listening to this, and search Beyond the To-Do List and hit follow or subscribe. Start listening and get that boost for your productivity that you've been needing. Again, that's Beyond the To-Do List. Search in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.